Can the wings help the Army? No, not the Air Force. Actual birds. Scientists working with the Army have isolated a protein in birds that could help with navigation of future autonomous vehicles. All right. Federal News Network's Scott Mossione talked about it with Army Research Office Biochemistry Program Manager Stephanie McLehenny. This is um, research that was supported through the Army Research Laboratory's Army Research Office and um, was also co-supported by the Office of Naval Research Global and the Air Force Office of Scientific Research. So it was a nice tri-service um, effort here in uh, supporting this research, looking into this particular pro- interesting protein um, in the avian system. So um, the cryptochrome protein that the researchers isolated, cryptochrome 4, is the particular protein that they isolated um, that's involved with this migratory robin um, this protein is a member of a, of a large family that's conserved across plants and animal species, um, and these are light-sensitive proteins. And so um, there's been a long-standing hypothesis that in migratory birds, the light-sensitive protein cryptochrome is involved in um, the magnetoreception that allows these animals to migrate according to the Earth's magnetic field. And so what the team was able to do is isolate this protein um, and actually test that hypothesis, you know, is this uh, protein involved in that process? And um, what they were able to show is that when they isolated this this protein and and interrogated it using um, some very sophisticated instrumentation that they developed, they were able to demonstrate that this protein is indeed sensitive to magnetic field, and they could uh, determine the mechanism by which it was um, responding to that magnetic field um, with this electron hopping mechanism that, that they discuss in their paper. And so, it's exciting because it's it's a, it's a first step towards sort of uncovering the the pathway in in these migratory animals that that allows them to sense this very weak field that we have on on, on Earth and and migrate very effectively using that. And so there's a lot of work to still be done, but this was an important first step um, that that tells folks that they're on the right path. And so we were really excited about it. And it sounds like not only does this have implications for for the scientific world in terms of what this might be able to do to help technology, but it also sheds some light on just some of the mysteries of the animal world, right? Exactly. You're, you're exactly right. Yes, this is exciting for multiple reasons. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been sort of a longstanding mystery in biology. You know, how do animals, you know, migrate using just the, the magnetic field of Earth? And you know, there's still a lot that we don't understand, and it, and part of it is because you know the animals that that exhibit this um, behavior are really complicated animals that aren't easy to sort of test in laboratories, and and you you can't sort of breed them like you can mice and and things that are sort of more amenable to to laboratory experiments. Um, you can't breed them in captivity, I guess I should say. And so it's um it's it's something that's that the research team is still very interested in, just from a biological perspective. That you know what what are the all of these molecular players that allow this you know, complicated signaling to happen, and how does the bird actually make sense of that signal so that it knows where it is um, in relation to, to planet Earth? We don't understand that yet, and there's a lot of work to still be done there. But but the fact, you're right, the fact that this is a, a, a protein that's magnetically sensitive, um, and, and we have this, this you know, electron hopping mechanism identified or, or illuminated by this research, um, that, that gives us an exciting opportunity to think about, you know, using either the protein itself or some, you know, synthetic organic material that that mimics that mechanism in a device that could actually allow navigation based on uh, the Earth's magnetic field that wouldn't really be impacted by weather or 
um, you know, couldn't really be spoofed. So it's, it's really exciting from a technology perspective as well. You're, you're spot on. Could you tell me why the Army is interested in this? You know, I, I think you mentioned the possibility for autonomous sure. vehicles. I mean, I think the thing that really intrigued all of us, both the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, um, since we're all sort of excited by this research, is is that, you know, this, again, the Earth's magnetic field is, is this, you know, constant, um, you know, um, source of information um, that can't be manipulated that we that we know of right now. Um, and so it really um, opens up an opportunity to maybe use to be able to to be able to navigate when you know standard sort of GPS um, uh, uh, um, approaches would not be available or they could be you know denied or compromised in some way. And so it 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 seems um, advantage it looks advantageous to us in that you know this is a Sort of a, an enduring, um, and, and it doesn't, you know, weather wouldn't impact this, light levels, you know, wouldn't matter. Um, and so it, we're hoping that this could maybe unlock a, a new way to navigate um, that could be ultra reliable. I realize that these experiments are, are very complex and have to deal with isolating proteins, but could you kind of break down in a little bit of a layman's terms how uh, you look at these proteins and, you know, how you've been able to manipulate them? So the way that they can actually test the proteins, they will um, produce the, the the DNA that encodes that protein. So there's a sequence of DNA that, that specifies production of that specific protein. And so they can put that sequence of DNA into a bacterial cell. Bacteria are great workhorses for, for protein um, production in the laboratory. Um, they grow really fast. And so as they grow, they make protein. And so you can grow lots of them really quickly. And then you basically break them open, um, and out of that soup of, of bacterial cell insides, you can pull out the protein that you're interested in um, through a purification process. And so they were able to produce, you know, an amount, a large amount of this protein to be able to study it. And they've used some pretty sophisticated um, physics techniques to, to interrogate the protein spectroscopic techniques, but they're able to actually look at um, the sensitivity of the protein when they apply a magnetic field. And so they can see changes that um, the instrumentation will indicate whether the protein is responding to that field or not. And so what they're able to show is the, the natural sequence from the migratory robin was uh, indicating a sensitivity or a response to the magnetic field that was applied. And if they modified positions within that protein, there were four specific positions that they believed were involved in the response to that magnetic field. And it's a chain of, of four identical um, amino acid residues in the, in the protein chain. And so if they changed any of those four positions to a different amino acid um, that would not allow that electron hopping um, to occur, then the protein did not respond to the applied magnetic field. And so they were able to show that, you know, the natural protein has this response. And if we, if we, interrupt that flow of electrons down this little chain of amino acids within the protein, it's no longer magnetically sensitive. And similarly, if they looked at a protein, a natural protein sequence from the, you know, the same family, the conserved protein family member, but from a non-migratory animal, so they looked at a chicken and a pigeon, but neither of which migrate, um, those isolated proteins were not sensitive to or did not respond to the magnetic field that they applied. And so by um, being able to isolate those proteins, they were able to, you know, really test that does this specific molecule um, respond to magnetic field. And so when they were able to show that, that's 
sort of the first piece they need, and now they can start looking at what other sorts of molecular partners are involved in the, the more complicated signaling cascade that, that we know there's, there's more going on in the actual animal, especially in the context of, of a retina in an eye. Um, but it was really cool for them to be able to actually isolate this protein and then, and then interrogate it using their instruments. Stephanie McLehenny, Biochemistry Program Manager at the Army Research Office, speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. 
And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. 
they're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.